0: Last I don't know, the last two or three weeks, maybe even a month, I've been looking at some history of the of the Lakota Indians because I've studied Native history for a long time because I've found that if you're going to work among the people you got you have to at least make some effort to understand them. And I tell you, I have had for a long time a great admiration for the the native tribes of this nation and the nation of Mexico. But the Lakota people, it's what I've been looking at lately, and there was a medicine man years ago, his name was Yellow Knife, and he, everything he said was not wise, and everything that he'd done was certainly not wise. But one of the things that he said over and over to the young, young men as he worked with them was, until you get your feet on the path, you can never reach a destination. And, you know, that's where we are as a church, not not necessarily this church, but as a church in the United States, is because we've tried to start with the middle of the story and not, not familiarize ourselves with exactly how these things started and the process through. There's some of the paths of God that we haven't yet got our feet on. Yeah, we've gotten our feet on the pathway to salvation, but a lot of other things we have not. And... The, the uh, book of Eph- the letter to the Ephesus church, is a very unique writing, in my opinion, and probably one of the books that's my, one of my favorites, simply because it's so loaded with, with stuff. I'm, Paul works in a way with Ephesians that he doesn't work with any other group of people. And it's the only one that I have found that it has only instruction, encouragement, and blessing. In this book, there's no rebuke for the Ephesus church in the book in the book of Ephesians. And I want to read some verses here to you. Uh, just for the sake of, of laying that as background, Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, Paul writing, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord, having, having heard about the faith that's in this church, The faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, I'm not even going to go down the trail of starting to do any exposition on this first chapter because it would take us all afternoon. and it's not that i you know i'm sure you would stay around and love it but we got to go pass out flyers so <laughs> the thing the thing that i want you to see here is paul is sending a letter to a group of people that was led by a young disciple of his named timothy this young man along with titus and onesimus and some others had traveled with paul and led, and lived life with paul and he had left at least Timothy and Titus in specific places for the purpose of building the church. Some people think that Timothy might have been assigned Ephesus as young as 18 years old. And we're pretty sure that, that he could have been no older than 21. So if you think of that. At this, this hub of culture right here. Paul left this young man in charge there because of the demonstration of something in Timothy's life. Now by being left to build there, indicates that Paul thought of Timothy as a very mature leader, an elder in the church, at that young age. Let that sink in for a moment. Just that little bit of history will tell us that when we talk of elders, we're not always talking about years. We're talking about maturity and the knowledge and the work of God. Now, Scattered in Paul's writing to them was the instruction, appoint elders. Can you imagine this? Here, Here's this 18-year-old kid, or even if he's 21 years old, uh, he just, in happenstance of having a 21st birthday, he became a man. That's the way we look at it, isn't it? It's not true, but that's the way we look at it. This young guy is now looking over all of those that are serving in the church and beginning to... Appoint elders. How many know that church had to have faith in the process of God to submit to that? That God, for a reason, laid this stuff in order and gave us something to think about and to do. But I thought it was interesting as I I researched it again, and I've done this many times through the years, uh, as I researched this again to realize that Paul didn't say, Now, Timothy, I want you to poll the people. (laughs) Timothy I want you to get the oldest guys among you consider their longevity and give them position he didn't say that did he and I want you to appoint elders Uh, some would say well God is no respecter of persons and when it comes to persons slash personalities he's not but when it comes to service Commitment, and even ability, he is. I'm speaking from long years of church experience. I've been in pastoral work for about 36 or 37 years now. That doesn't qualify me. You hear me. But having gone through the church wars and surviving, qualifies him come through with the scars that thousand yard stare that refusal to move that knowing that you hear God and yeah I'm willing to wait for someone else to come alongside and realize that we're hearing him together but I know I hear him and if you haven't got that yet in your life I'm really sorry. I would I would recommend you cultivate it because when you do get it, you'll find out He's always been talking to you. He's God. Now, don't raise your hands, but I want you to just... I've, I didn't want to do this part this morning, but God has just had it on me throughout the morning. How many of you spent... Your morning this morning, communi- communicating with other church leaders and communicating with God, intense about the presence of God in this service, and that's the way your morning went this morning. How many of you did that happen with? How many of you can say that seventy-five percent of your thought processes in the last week has been about church, the kingdom, the family of God, and God? How can we? How can we get this one? To step up to who they are. How can we get this one to recognize? You see, there is a difference. Because when God gives oversight, he gives insight, but he also gives the burden of the house. And if God is not giving you the burden of the house. Now, when I say burden of the house, I'm not talking about that I feel like I should do more. I feel like I should be more. That's not what I'm talking about. If he hasn't given you that thing where when you think every day waking up about his family, about his house, and about what's happening in this location and that location and somewhere else, if he hasn't given you that, don't go looking for it. Because it's something that comes out of his decision, his calling, his time. Now, I believe very, very strongly in the government of elders but knowing that we don't have time to treat it in depth this morning, I'm going to make a beginning, and as we go further along, I will take it more as time goes on. But it's in the very basis of faith, because if we don't have our foot or feet on this pathway that God has outlined in the Word, then we're never going to get to the destination of being that city set on a hill that cannot be hid. We're never going to get to what he has put before us as being that group that so functions so efficiently underneath all of the darkness and evil that light begins to break forth. And all of a sudden, the people of the world is surprised because they're looking at the church and saying, how did you do that? Because God has a plan. And until we begin to realize that he is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and get our feet on the pathway, we can never develop that plan. And I'm telling you, the general American independent mindset is not the mind of God. I'm just putting it out there. It's not. Genesis chapter 1, I mentioned earlier that we often try to identify by starting in the middle of the story, And if we're ever really going to understand, we've got to start at the beginning of the story. So Genesis 1 is a good place to start, is it not? Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we could live in that for about 30 days. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Can I remind you up to this point, the sun, the moon, and the stars were not even created? It was the light of God that began to shine here. And there was evening and there was morning one day. Now in this is a powerful powerful suggestion that everything that we see was first born in the thought processes of God everything. He laid it out and and he he helped us and I've got to work these papers around my Cadillacs so I when I was i got cataracts that it makes me have to work these papers back and forth and up and down. But when God began it, all of this in his mind, all of creation in his thought, he began to hover over it and to brood over it. And these ideas that, that was in his mind, he began to lay hold of them in his world, in his realm, in his, in his spirit. But when he brought it forth, this is what I want you to get. When he brought it forth, the, he first began to bring it into existence. It was first, even when he let, brought it forth, it was first in chaotic condition. Let that sink in for a moment. Now relate that to your salvation. That when, when you first began to realize that God was drawing you and you came to him, it did not change the chaos the lack of order spiritually that was in your life, did it? But God created in spite of that because he had absolute confidence in his own ability to bring order. He knew that he had a way. He knew that he could do some things and that he had confidence in the ways of man and that man would respond in a right way and that creation would respond to men guided by him. And he created and began to work with it now, before he even brought it forth, he had determined that he would operate in grace and power. He brought his way into his creation and looked at it and said, "That's good, that's good, and it was good. it is good, isn't it? You know at its worst, life is good it I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, the thing that causes difficulties is is our chaotic misunderstanding of who God is and what He does. And once we settle into the fact that there's hope before us and that we can get excited about what He's bringing into our lives, well, then it makes even the worst day somewhat good. I hope Courtney watches this today because I, I've been impressed by, first, she's she very prolific on, on uh, social media, and she'll first start out talking about how hard it is, and the next thing you know, she's talking about, but I know that God is doing this and that, and she'll start to draw that to herself, and I've watched this young 30-year-old woman start to draw the life of God into her situation, because she's choosing to operate off of that rather than what natural shows her, and it makes even bad days seem somewhat good. So, God began to bring a way of life into existence that would bring order and that would literally rule the rest of his creation. Now, I've got to leave that and shift over to New Testament to get get through this in a reasonable amount of time this morning. But when we begin to become a part of his reestablishing that which he set out to do in the beginning because that's what the New Testament is all about is God is reestablishing his faithfulness. He's reestablishing his commitment to covenant. He's reestablishing who he is and saying, we're going to work in a different way, but it's going to be more effective. We're going to bring it through. We're going to do something here. We're going to get this thing accomplished. And even in the disorder and the confusion that was our world, when Christ rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit made his arrival in the form that we have now things began to come to order and if you this is why church history fascinates me is because I watch it generation by generation by generation get more intense more followers more happening No, the news media don't recognize it a lot of the Bible scholars don't even recognize it but the truth is this thing is not diminishing church it's growing And it's infusing the world, things are beginning to happen and God begins to work in the way that He worked in the beginning to begin to show people and to walk with people, show them how to work, how to live His will and His way. Now here's our temptation. We start in the middle of the story and we, most of us, were born and raised here in this nation, or or one close to it, and we see all of the things that has brought what we think of as success. So we think we know how to do this. Yeah, we're part of the church, but we're going to run it like a corporation. Either that, or better than that, let's make it an education system. Let's run it like the schools. We really want our churches run like the public schools, don't we? Mm-hmm. No, but that's what we try to do because it's what we know. We really want our churches run like Walmart, don't we? We really don't, but it's what we do because it's what we know. And he's saying, he's saying to us, I'll teach you another way. And I'm, God is not a democracy. Can I just tell you that? God is a theocracy, he's the man. And he tells us how it should be done. And then allows us to choose whether we do it or not. And he says there is a way that leads into life. And there's a way that leads to death. It's up to you. Isn't it amazing how much responsibility he gives us and then stands back? And he won't take it back from you. Why? Because he's got confidence in his creation. He's got confidence that if you hit enough walls, if you run into enough trouble, If you blow up enough families, if he got confidence that at some point you'll begin to realize your feet's not even on the path yet and you can't reach the destination until they get there. And we had to go back and start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. So, you know, God had to know all this from the beginning. But there has to be something so wonderful in store for us that he's willing to risk it all just so that you and I can be a part of his life. I hear all kinds of teaching that people do. Well, God created man because God needed. God's not a needy God. God didn't need. He wanted to share with you. And he wanted to share with me. And he made a way. I'm so glad I don't serve a needy God. I'm glad that I serve a God that wants to help and wants us to experience some things. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus is talking later in this verse, but Mark writes, and sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Now let's talk about servanthood for a few minutes. This verse is the beginning qualification for anybody to take a governmental type lead in the house of God. And the word that is translated is, I don't know, some diakonos or something like that. It's not really that important. But as it's used a lot in this street language, it means to run in the dirt with To run in the dirt with. Now think about that. From the dust of the earth, God created man. In the spiritual realm, there's all kinds of stuff that will make you the men and women of God. That God wants you to be and that you somewhere deep inside of you want to be. And surrounding that, it's more spiritual than it is natural. There's a spiritual dust storm that anybody that's going to lead is going to have to get into and be a part of. And you're going to come out of of it some weeks feeling pretty dirty. I'm just being real. There there was a time this week when I told Chelsea, I've just about had all of it I can handle. I've got to check out now. I've got to do something different than sit across the table. But God didn't allow the check out, did he? The phone started to ring, and, and here we go. But the thing that you need to understand is to... If you want to make a start in being somebody in the house of God, you start with getting in the dirt with people. And realize that in all the dust storm, God's creating something, and he's using you not only to create, but he's using you to be created so that you can become while they're becoming. And the next thing you know, you're somewhere, and they're somewhere, but it's still a dust storm, and it's still going on, and, and it's still happening. And and But it's a wonderful thing because I walked out of the office here yesterday and looked at this building, and it just hit me. This building's been a pain. But it's been a blessing. God blessed us with it. First, we were in your living room. Next thing, we were under the Bud Light sign. And that's how we told people how to get there. The restaurant and bar, and they rented us a room down there. And the way you find us is you come in the door, look to your left, and the door under the Bud Light sign. And we grew there going in early in the morning, cleaning up, trying to get the beer smell out of there, trying to clean up all the nasty stuff and the food spills and get it set up so that we could meet as the children of God. The dust storm. And then through a series of events, we came in possession of this. And water was about this deep in the basement, right? Uh, You wouldn't recognize this auditorium from what it was then. And through just a lot of hard work, I mean, one of the biggest church fights we had was when we first started painting this place. <laughs> Both families spun out, fighting over colors. And there was no fight because it would already been settled. What a blessing this place is. What a pain it's been. <laughs> Life in the kingdom of God. And you've got to have, if you, if you're going to be First in the kingdom, if you're going to be recognized, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you've got to learn to be in the dirt with the house. Not off out there somewhere doing your own thing and then showing up on Sundays and then off out there again, but being in the dirt with the house, starting to bear the burden, start to feel the dust, starting to feel like sometimes you come out of some meetings, I just need a shower. So you've got to learn to do that if you're going to be lead in the kingdom. And if you don't feel that burden, I wouldn't even ask for it if I were you. Just let God, let God decide whether he's going to get you down the road somewhere or not. But these particles that we deal with, it's, it's what eventually makes men and women of God, and that's what keeps us going. Some of these young leaders around the country that, that I work with, we, we look at the messes they make. And, and Chelsea can, can give witness to this. We sit in meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting between people and leaders just trying to get the shovel big enough to shovel the stuff out of the way so we can go on and build the house of God. But it's part of it. It's in the dirt with It's it's something that you've got this confidence that there is such tremendous value sitting around this table that it's all right to go away from here sometimes wanting to just find a place and cry. But go away from that place and know that God is at work. And he's building his house among his people. Now, most people won't admit this, but somewhere especially in the American church, I find, and especially in the Mexican church, I find, is people want to be recognized as great in the kingdom. There's something in them that, that wants recognition that you are somebody in this house. You are somebody. And folks, can I say to you that an eldership position doesn't make you somebody? Not at all. Puts a little target right here, but it doesn't make you somebody. It's life lived with God that makes you somebody. And if you discover who that somebody is, then all of a sudden you won't care about being recognized in the house. You just start to care about the house. That makes a big difference. That Sometimes you just set your jaw and wade through it simply because you know that God has to be at work. Sometimes when you look at the numbers and it's going backwards instead of forwards, and I'm not talking about attendance, I'm talking about financial. You look at the numbers, it's going backwards and not going forward. You just got to set your jaw and keep moving forward knowing that it'll catch up. Because God says if you'll walk with Him, that His blessing will overtake you in the way. That doesn't mean I go looking for it. It means I keep my feet on that path and I set my jaw and move forward and know that his blessing going to run over me before it's all over. Why? Because I've seen it happen. I've seen it I've seen it turn around in a day. I've seen it turn around in a year. I've seen it turn around in ten years. I've seen it turn around. Nothing is more blessed than when you begin to hear people talking about the revelation of God, thinking it's their own, and you realize that that came through the leadership that brought it to them, and they didn't even know it. Somewhere down the road, they got it, and it became theirs, and they're putting it to work. That's it. Not that you get any credit for it because you don't really want it. And I I, I know I'm having to say some things this morning that I hardly ever would say. But it's true that the recognition does come. And that's why I'm out of here a lot of Sundays. is because there's things that I really need to do among those that, that we've helped in the kingdom. But that's not what it was about. It was about the house of God. It was about what God's done in the earth. It's about expansion. If there's anything an eldership team does, it's to oversee change. Knowing that the only thing that never changes is that there's always change in the house of God. I never will embrace ideas that's going to take us back to the 60s so we can have a move of God with integrity music. Well, I do have a move of God with integrity music occasionally, but we're not going to go back and live there. Why? Because God's doing a 2018 work. And he's going to do a 2019 work. And it's his kingdom expanding and moving and going forward. The, the prophet said, when you get into this, you need to rise and shine for your light has come. Expand the borders of your tent. Don't just sit there where you are, but expand the borders. Reach out. Don't get so enthralled with what's happening right here that you forget that there's a whole world out there expanding in God. Rise up and shine. Your light has come. The glory of the King is on you. Go out and do those things. But to get there, you've got to be learn what it is to be servant of all. And Jesus is laying out how you get there. But here's the real thing. When I'm talking about eldership, I'm not talking about those servants. Although everybody who serve as elders has come through those times. And Paul said, I serve, I was there as a servant among you. He He recognized that That sometimes that's what we do. And that's, you know, sometimes you just roll up your sleeves and get dusty. But when I, the the elders as they work are always surrounded by those who are servants. The elders are also servants, but they're always surrounded by those who are in the dust. And there's all kinds of clamor trying to get us in the dust, but my goodness, I've got to raise my head above the dust sometimes and see what God is doing. That's why Paul said that we appoint these people so that we can give ourselves to the study of the Word and to prayer. And, And you would be amazed at how much of my life is spent studying and praying simply because there's amazing, amazing ground left to be covered. There's, there's things that happen in the realm of the Spirit. Prayer doesn't so much move the hand of God as it moves the hand of me. It begins to remind me who God is and begins to get me to reach on a level that I haven't reached before. And I begin to learn that there is a life of prayer that's more than a prayer life. Yeah, you can go home and throw the books away. <laughs> No, not really. You know, I'm gonna to start to close with just some observation from myself and in the natural of what I look for. I look for guys that have a sense, that give off a sense of having walked with God very closely. And I'm not 100%, nobody is, but I've gotten very good at seeing this. And most of the guys that I know that that do this have also gotten very good at it because God teaches us. But that's the sense that they're mature in. They're not necessarily mature in age, but they're mature in having walked with God very closely. How old is Rafa now? 32, two, three, And he's already second in lead for an organization of 250 churches in Mexico in Juarez, in the meanest city on earth. The, one of the highest death tolls in the world right now is Juarez and we don't hear much about it because there's news people that will die if they report it. He's not there because of aid. He's there because of being forced by life to walk with God. and also because he's the most mature one to be left there. You see, when you start to develop elders, you you look to see people whose own life has been greatly impacted by God. And now I'm going to throw this out there, and I, I hope you'll understand my heart, but the Scripture still says, choose out men and appoint them elders. So until that changes, I'm going to stick with the plan. Now, let me give you just a little bit of reason for that. Men and women are different. Really different, guys. When a man accepts a position as elder, his wife comes along with him. But when he begins to feel the load of it, he will do everything he can to keep his wife from having to carry that load. Everything he can. Because we cherish them above each other. There's some things in church stuff I don't talk to my wife about. We talk about a lot of things. Some things we don't talk about. Why? Because I'll carry that. She don't need to. She don't want to. That's the truth. And sometimes there will be a conversation that will just arise and erupt. And she'll be privy to some of it without me intending for her to be because it didn't erupt from me, it erupted from somebody else. And here's what happens. Guys, our wives will protect us at almost any cost. And something will rise up in her and she'll want to cut that thing off because it's threatening me but we can't go there because God has me in that thing because he's developing other men and I have to say you really shouldn't have even heard that but give this a chance you can't operate out of what you just heard but it's the nature of the ladies to protect us Now you might not believe that but it's the truth and here's, that, here's how that nature goes askew is when it becomes the nature of evil instead of God, it begins to try to kill their mate rather than protect it. Or to kill their offspring rather than protect it. That's another message, but that's thrown in there as a commercial message for, for free. But choose out men. That's not sexist. It's just the Holy Spirit chose to inspire the writing of that. And until that changes, I'll stay with it but men whose lives are marked by the rule of God, that every day they're doing what is necessary to fulfill the the role that God has given them. And when I begin to look at people that that I think God is directing me to, you know, one of the first things I do is talk to their wives and then watch their wives in their company. But I listen closely as the wives talk about their husbands. You know what I listen to most of all? The complaints. And here's why. Sometimes those complaints will mark a man's faithfulness. And I'll realize that in the nature of the complaint, that he's holding steady for something That she doesn't yet understand and he's refusing to move on. He might not be doing it correctly, but he's refusing to move. Why? Because it's a value in God and he sees it and he's holding it. He's holding that line. And she is in the contortions sometimes of making excruciating changes in her own life. And I watch how he handles it. And I watch to see whether he gets abusive and I mean verbally abusive, or whether he just goes ahead and lives life. But what's happening a lot of times is he or she is literally becoming more of a child of God because of this contention, the chaos. And that God's going to bring order in that thing. And yes, I have conversations with her and him that they will think at the moment that it's completely off subject. But it's not. It's just redirecting taking the focus off the mess, the dust, and putting it back onto God, and then watch God change it. So in the natural, those are some of the things I look at. And I, I also want to see men, not just that they can make a difficult decision. A lot of men make difficult decisions every day. But it's not just that they make a difficult decision, but they're able to make that decision and still treat the person like God would treat them in the next time they meet them. That because I have to make a decision doesn't mean I'm gonna treat you differently. Doesn't mean I'm gonna love you less. Doesn't mean any of that. Just means, nope, I'm standing for something in God here, and that's it. But I'm gonna love you just like God loves you as much as I know how. That's what I look for when I when I'm looking at, at people for eldership. Not too long ago I had a man call me, he was driving down the road and and he said, I, I just wanted you to know. something's something going on. I don't remember details, but he said, I'm just driving down the road praying about the church. You better believe he got my attention. You better believe he got my attention. Another time sitting, just having a meeting, and another man, you know, man, he, emotion comes hard with American men, but it got a little bit emotional. He's concerned about someone that had left the church. You better believe I'm going to listen to that man. You better believe it. because that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. That's, that's what we begin to begin to look for, that uh, I don't ever look for people that we can appoint as elders on the premise that if they, if they feel the load, they will become elders. I'm telling you that's a bear trap. If they, have, if they look like they might be becoming, we're going to go ahead and let them become and see what happens. We're not going to do the appointing yet. We appoint on the basis of they're already serving the role. They're already there. They're already doing the work. They're already living among people. They're already affected by the heart of God. That's the basis on which we appoint. <clears throat> now, to me, one of the most important scripture dealing with eldership is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, that statement for Peter was twofold. He did witness the sufferings of Jesus. But the Christ indwells us. The Christ surrounds us. The Christ is the anointing. And Peter, by this time, had witnessed the sufferings of people under the anointing. And that's what he's writing about. A partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. (coughs) Shepherd of the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion. An elder is going to... when, When God gives oversight he gives insight he's going to see some stuff you don't want him to see but he's not going to compel you to do anything about it he's going to be aware of it though and sometimes you won't you wonder why in the world i can't convince that guy to do anything i want him to do <coughs> he got insight and he's got that thousand yard stare his jaw set he's looking into the fires of glory and saying someday maybe but not yet And it'll also look like this, and and sometimes somebody will stand up against the church and begin to rip, verbally rip people apart, and and want to do that in every conversation, and you'll see that elder guy say, oh no, that is not what's happening here, and we will not talk about that here, we will not have a further conversation about it. That will stop. Why? Because that'll kill the church. And, above all, we're shepherds of the flock. Not under compulsion, that also means that I don't do this job because I have to. I do it because something, something twisted and goofy in me wants to. (laughs) I wouldn't be happy doing anything else. And I've proven that. I'm I'm watching time. We're going to get out of here pretty quick, but I remember one time when things had gone so badly in a young man's life that I was working with. And it followed on a series of things having gone badly in churches that we were with. And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to give up on God, but I'm just going to quit. This. I'm going to do what I do, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to mow some church's lawn, I'm going to do whatever I need to do, but I'm out of this leadership thing. So we were, my family was traveling around, we were trying to decide, find a place that was relational and that we could actually attend, and just attend. I came in a little bit late on purpose, not here, Set toward the back of the church on purpose, pastor got in the pulpit and about a third of the way in his message he pointed right to me and he said something about you and god i want to talk to you after service and i thought i'll get out of here before he gets back here (laughs) when i got to the door he's standing there he said what day can we have coffee god nailed me and this guy he's one of my best friends now and I help in the apostolic oversight of his church but he pulled me out and confronted me he said you want to quit but God said no except the way Dwayne says it daddy said no <laughs> so you know we're not under compulsion we're not compelled to do this except like Paul says I'm compelled by the love of God the love of God compels me controls me It confirms me. It pushes me. And it's not so much His love for me now. It's my love for Him. I'm telling you, I've fallen in love with God, and that makes me want to do His business. And that's what leadership in the church looks like. Not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears... You'll receive the unfading crown of glory. And can I say to you, that statement there is okay to me, but it doesn't move me at all. I'm really not concerned with the reward, I'm concerned with his house. You younger men, likewise, oh, American young men hate this. Be subject to your elders. <laughs> And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, as you probably have noticed, we're going to start down the road of eldership here because I believe in it. I I believe that we need an eldership team here. We've had one. Damon and Cy and I have been walking as an eldership team. uh, But we need to expand it. You know, on... I have recognized that I'm at the age where I could not be able to function like this. And I really recognize it after having hit the dirt so hard three years ago. I'm telling you we need some young people in here some young men in here some young young couples in here that are beginning to be on this team and beginning to help make decisions and God is marking some of them out. I'm not ready to talk about that yet. But God is marking some of them out and I don't want you to be surprised when we start saying we're looking at these for eldership. This message will be why because we've looked at their lives and we've seen what's in them and we yeah, we know I know the road is rough. I know it's rocky but I also recognize the work of God in man, and I will not pull back from that. I won't say where, but this past week we sat in a city right here in this general area, I was talking with two church leaders from a, from a local church, and the Spirit of God came on those two leaders, and they began to weep right there in a restaurant, right there in the city. All the people that knew them around, they began to weep and begin to talk out loud about what God is going to do and what God had promised them to do in their house. People from the community coming by and laying hands on their shoulders and saying, I don't know what's wrong here, but I'm telling you, these are good men. And I'd look at them and say, yeah, I know they're good men. God's touch is on them. And folks, I'm telling you, God's doing something. He's preparing something in this general area that's going to surprise people. Because that's the way the kingdom works. It works in, among, and under all of the darkness. The next thing you know, God separates light from darkness. And here they are, shining like the noonday sun. Because God's been at work all that time. But God's order, and one of the ways he brings order, is to put imperfect men in charge of his perfect plan and as they learn to listen to him they bring order and light into chaos and darkness but you're the ones that are in the dust <laughs> you're the one that does the work you're the ones that honestly get the privilege of touching changed lives every day and we're the ones that make the decisions and then get in the dirt with you because if we just love it so much we won't stay away from it and that's the deal. I, you, you ever been around an old carpenter when, when he's, he's just going to go and observe and watch these young guys work and the next thing you know he's out there and he's got a saw and he's got a hammer and he's got a nail gun and he's going to work? Why I can't stay away from it? Because there's so much satisfaction in seeing what God has done. You know, when I look at this group of people right here, I don't see what I've done and that's the honest truth. I see what God has done. Hey, you're you're all walking miracles. And yeah, some have left us. Well, maybe they'll be back. Maybe they won't. But guess what? More's coming. And it's all good. I would be a fool to think I could minister to everybody in this town. Can't do it. Never been God's plan. But we're going to work together with those that do and see what God will do for this city. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Father, there are those among us that have expressed that the enemy has been trying to torment them through dreams. God, I take authority over that in the name of Jesus and bind it, stop it, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, give them rest, give them sleep. God, inundate them with the assurance that they're sons and daughters of God. Lord, this is your will, this is your way. We have authority, and we take it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you for this people. Thank you for allowing me to be a part. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for coming.